For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Sadly, this is what home sounds like for many of America's heroes. During this crisis, many veterans are living on the street, sleeping on nothing more than cardboard. You can help. Donate at CardboardToHeadboard.org. Hey there, Fangirl Nation. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and I am so excited to be joined today by production coordinator at NBC Sports Bay Area in California, Jenna Vanderite. Jenna talks about how important it is to keep learning, chasing what you're good at, and the importance of creating content that gives fans a connection to their favorite team. She also takes us through the week of a production coordinator and all that went into content for last year's Super Bowl in Miami. Beyond that, she shares some incredible and inspiring quotes. You guys are going to love this episode, so let's get to it. Jenna, I am so excited to have you on today. I have, of course, gotten to know you very well over the last several years covering the 49ers, and we are colleagues and friends, which is always a fabulous combination, and I'm so excited to have you on Get My Job. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Tracy. I'm so excited to be chatting with you, though I do wish we were we were back in Florida gearing up Me for too. But I'll take I'll take the podcast interview. <laughs> I know about a year ago at this time, well, we were, I guess, coming to the end of it if we go by dates, but a year ago this time, Jenna and I were in Miami. The 49ers were in the Super Bowl, and we had had such an incredible week. Um, so I know hopefully next year, uh, hopefully next year, we'll get to be back at Super Bowl. Know, and fingers kind of, this is actually the first Super Bowl I've missed in years because I usually go every year um, for – meetings, et cetera, et cetera. And unfortunately, that is not what happens happening this year. So I'm sad, but hopefully next year, fingers crossed for sure. So I got to see firsthand and I get to see firsthand on game day what you are doing, how you are, you know, producing content. Uh, but I would like you, since not everyone on this podcast is or listening to this podcast is lucky to know you like I do. Uh, I was hoping you could start <laughs> By taking us through your professional journey and then obviously want to talk about what you do on a daily basis and kind of go from there. So take it away, Jenna. Absolutely. Well, I feel like to talk about my professional journey, we have to rewind to when it really started. And for me, that was high school. Um, When I was about 16, I knew I wanted to work in sports. I knew I wanted to study sports journalism. I had no idea how I was going to make it happen but I just knew that it was going to happen. So I ended up um, spending six years um, through various colleges and universities. I transferred a few times and ended up back in San Francisco, finishing my bachelor's of journalism at San Francisco State University. And with my last semester prior to graduation, I actually landed an internship in the newsroom at then Comcast Sportsnet Bay Area in California, which is now NBC Sports, Bay Area in California, where I currently work. So I started as an intern and I love telling people what my duties were as an intern because some people just think it might've been like a glamorous internship. It was not. Um, Our big responsibility, you know, for the eight hours of our shift was we were logging games. So what that meant is as a live game was happening, I was in charge of writing down every single play, every single camera angle, if there's fan shots, color shots, what have you. So that's what we did for eight hours. So, you know, the saying like started at the bottom, now we're here. It's kind of 
<laughs> kind of like that. So um, started as an intern and throughout my internship, you know, I knew that this was where I wanted to be. I grew up in Sonoma County in a small town called Petaluma, grew up a big fan of the Giants and just knew that if I was able to get my foot in the door at NBC, which was then CSN, I was going to give it all I had. So I treated that internship like a job interview. Every single day, I wanted to prove to not only the company, but myself as well, that I deserved a seat here and I wanted to be here. So I ended up getting hired on the last day of my internship two weeks prior to graduation, which is something I'm really proud of because I know how rare that is to say I graduated college and landed a job in not only the field in which I wanted to work in, but especially one that I studied. So I spent two years as a part-time production assistant, and my main roles as a PA was writing the ticker and building graphics for our pre-game and post-game shows, along with stage managing um, various pre- and post-game shows that we had out at site. And then from a PA, I went and became a newsroom assistant, which was really learning the network operations and administrative side of the company. And I two years doing that. And now I am the production coordinator at NBC, which is a job I never knew existed, <laughs> but it's been truly incredible um, to be a part of. And I'm, I'm really proud to, to be the production coordinator here. So you've obviously had a number of things and different responsibilities and duties throughout your time there. How has the knowledge of all those different parts um, of what goes on at the network helped you in your current position? I mean, it's invaluable. And I say that because it's such an art to be able to learn the domino effect of how one thing can play into another thing. And you, you only do that by learning as much as you can. So for example, with my role as the production coordinator, one of my main jobs is booking guests for some of our shows. And it can be as simple as the guest needing to push back their taping time. And for me, that just means understanding how to communicate and help our production team and our operations team pivot and adjust based on the guest's needs. And then, you know, needing to relay to digital and our marketing teams on the changes because we're all on deadlines. So it's really just learning how the chips fall and figuring out how they affect other departments, even if it's just one change. But definitely being able to learn as much as you can is such an invaluable trait that I constantly recommend it to anyone and everyone. So you said that you did not know that the job of production coordinator existed. When did you learn it existed and when did you decide that was what you wanted to do next? Such a good question. So a big part of my role um, as production coordinator is, you know, field producing and producing. And I guess my first taste of that was when I was an intern and we each got one shadowing opportunity. And so I was lucky enough to shadow one of our producers at the time and went out to an Oakland A's baseball game and really just got a taste of what that job entails and how much goes into it. You know, you're not out there to hold a mic at a press conference. You are out there coordinating live shots. You are doing sit down interviews. Yes, you're doing the press conference, but you're also coordinating pregame and postgame. And there was just something about it that struck me mm -hmm. and that it excited me. But at the time, it, it wasn't part of my plan, right? Um, that didn't exist for me. So when I look back, I think I then can pinpoint when I realized that I really was interested in this. Um, but again, you know, it's just something that kind of happened by happenstance and just worked my way up to ultimately becoming the production coordinator. So when you say it wasn't part of your plan, uh, something we talk about a lot on this podcast is being open to opportunities and yes, having a focus and, and knowing what you want to do, but also not to be so laser focused that you miss out on potential good opportunities. Is that a situation that you kind of came across to get to this position? Absolutely. I mean, like I said, wanting to work in sports and figuring that out in high school as a sports fan, all you see are the jobs that you see on TV. And so for mm -hmm. me, 
my main goal was I wanted to be a baseball reporter. That's it. That's all I want to do. And I think we all have different journeys into the way we get our foot in the door to the industry. And that's kind of the fun about it. Once you start connecting with others is figuring out, okay, how did you make this happen for yourself? But for me, as I mentioned, I was hired as a part-time PA. So Mm -hmm. I sort of looked at that opportunity as well. This isn't an ideal situation because again, it's part-time. So for two years, I worked three jobs because I wanted to stay with NBC. But being able to start in an area that maybe isn't your direct line into the goal that you do have for yourself, it gives you such opportunity to be able to either learn things you like or even other things you don't like. Um, And I credit to being able to learn a multitude of things that make this network run because from there I was able to say, well, for some reason, life isn't shaking out for me to be this reporter that I dreamed of being, but I'm really good at doing these other things. And so why don't I chase these for a while and see the impact that I can make and see what it what comes out of it, especially for me. That's, I think, so important. And also being open to saying, okay, maybe like this, like you said, my being a baseball reporter is my dream, but this is what I'm doing and I'm good at it. There's something to be said for that. Like this is, and there's something that feels good to be really good at something. Um, so I, I think that's awesome. And do you find that having taken that path that you're you're happy you've gone that direction? Yeah, I am. You know, I something that someone had mentioned to me early on starting out was you need to continue to say yes to new opportunities, especially in the workplace, until you are at the position where you can say no. And what I mean by that is I'm not saying don't have boundaries in your place of work, because obviously we know as humans that those are really important. But what I will say is you are going to receive so many opportunities. And just because they don't align with exactly your goal in mind, that doesn't mean you should say no to them because you don't realize what's going to come out of them. You know, Thomas Edison is one of my favorite quotes. He says, that opportunities are missed by most people because they're dressed in overalls and look a lot like work. And I think (laughs) all the time, thinking that, yeah, (laughs) just, just thinking that if I didn't say yes to an additional opportunity that maybe didn't align with what I was doing, would I be where I am now? And the answer is no, I wouldn't. And so I always recommend, you know, learn as much as you can, have your hand in as many projects as you can, because ultimately it's just going to be a bigger benefit for you in the end to then be able to say this is, or this is not what I want to do. So I want to talk a little bit uh, about game day. I'm going to start there uh, because I see you guys obviously doing the pregame and you do the postgame. So can you talk a little bit about what goes in to putting together the pregame show, um, obviously I see you guys do it for the 49ers, but what goes into doing that and kind of all the moving parts there, how you make a decision kind of on post game, you touched on it a little bit earlier, but I'd love to go into more detail. And then the next part of that question, and I'll definitely remind you as we get there is <laughs> I want to know how that changed last year for Super Bowl when you guys had a show every night, you know, the week leading up to the game. Um, and just talk a little bit about that and creating that content. So um, you can take those in any order that you want. And if you need any reminding, let me know, because I know I gave you like 12 questions in one minute. No, I I think I got them. So um, the first one with taking you through game day, I am going to pretend this is a non-COVID 49ers season. Fair (laughs) enough. But then I would also like to know what the differences are when we get to that. I think that'll be very interesting for people. Of course, happy to. So um, producing for me actually starts the Monday before a Sunday game. Um, So what I'll start doing on Monday is I will work with the 49ers public relations staff and their community event staff on which organization is being involved um, in the Community Tuesday event that week. From there, I'll find out what players are volunteering if they're open to sitting down and doing an interview with us to promote not only the organization, but 
what the player is doing as well. Um, so we will tape those on Tuesday to run in our Sunday show. And then on Tuesdays, I'm also responsible for submitting all of our credentials for all of our crew that will be on st- on site at the stadium. So our pregame and postgame, again, this is a pre-COVID example. Right. But our um, predominantly, our pregame and postgame 49ers shows are, in fact, at Levi Stadium. So the credentials I'm submitting are from our talent to myself, to our operations team, any engineers, our photogs. I think I remembered everybody. Um, So I will go ahead and submit those. And then by Wednesday, I will send out um, credential information and parking info to our crew that will be on site. From there, I'm responsible for coordinating the travel for our 49ers analysts. So that means setting up their flights, their hotels, and then ultimately sending out their itineraries so they know exactly where they need to be, exactly what flight they should be on, X, Y, Z. And let's see what day we're on. Friday. Friday's coming up. (laughs) So Friday, we have a 10 a.m. content call. And with our entire 49ers content crew. And so we will go through um, really what our analysts want to talk about, what we should break down for the upcoming Sunday matchup, and then go into the logistics. So that's kind of where I come in, where I will remind everybody credential info, parking info, travel, what have you. Okay. Saturday night, I'll hop on a call with our producer to just make sure I'm understanding the rundown see if I have any questions, clarify any additional live shots or hits that we have to do. I've just found that being able to stay organized and kind of be a step ahead of everyone else, even though it's the night before, it just helps my game day run so much smoother. So I feel like this is a really long answer, but truly. It's it's very, I think it's really interesting because I think um, a little bit what you said earlier of learning the domino effect. I it, I know it's interesting to me and I think it's interesting to our listeners to understand exactly what goes in to a pregame show and how early in the week that starts. And so I think it's, it's very interesting. So please continue. <laughs> well, thank you. So finally, we get to Sunday, game day. Um, so all I will arrive to the stadium around 7 a.m. Our pregame shows at 9. Um, and then my additional responsibilities for the that day is I produce a Facebook live at 11 um, and the game starts. So I like to sit down and eat something finally for the first time that day. Um, I will produce the Wirecast streaming for our halftime show that we do on Twitter. And then we have our post-game show. And after the post-game show, we tape a podcast with Matt Mayoko and Laura Britt. Um, and then I think that's about it. And I'll take any wrap-up calls with management on my drive home, but we then do it all again the next week. <laughs> so when it comes to the post-game show, at what point in the game have you decided how that's going to go? So that's pretty much left up to our producer who's in-house. Um, so he will build the rundown for that. I am the liaison between our in-house crew and the PR staff in regards to which players we would like to make a request to have join our show. So really it's going to be the standout guys, right? It's going to be the ones that put up big numbers, maybe broke their record, what have you, just someone that has a really great game or is the storyline. Um, so I will then work with PR and then what ends up happening is about 10 minutes into our show, I will get a text from someone on the PR staff that just says, Hey, I'm bringing out Jimmy G. And that's when I relay to our set that Jimmy G's coming on. And I relay to our studio so they can then build the graphics, make any full screen stat boards that they need of him. And then I escort him onto our set and we do an interview. See, I, I think it's fascinating just because you, for those who just, you know, you turn on the TV and there's the pregame show and there's the game and there's the postgame show. I think it is really interesting just to know how much goes into it, how many people go into making that happen, how quickly things have to be built for that to happen. Cause you know, who knows? Like you have two minutes to go in a game and it's tied and you don't know which running backs running in that final touchdown. You don't know which receiver is going to catch it. You don't know what defensive back is going to have 
the game winning pick six, you know, and that kind of stuff you do have to put together kind of quickly. So I just think that that's, that's interesting. By the way, those are all very positive things that I just said are going to happen in games next year. And you are welcome. 100%. Yeah. It's just, it's such a hot, um, a fast paced environment and one that, you know, I, I think I've had a lot of practice in being able to do it. And so now I wouldn't say it comes naturally, but it's not as stressful for me. But I always tell people, you know, it's really not as glamorous as it seems. Like if you could see me running around all day from 7 a.m. until post game, you would know this is this is not something that just looks fancy on Instagram, but it's a labor of love. It gives me a rush and we get to put incredible content on our television to be able to engage with fans and make them feel connected to players. And that's the best part. So how has that, any of that changed during COVID? I mean, obviously I know Community Tuesday is obviously very different this year. You probably don't have as many people traveling, but how has COVID changed your game day at all? Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the biggest parts that it changed game day was when the team moved to Arizona and well, I, still yes. <laughs> I still had a crew of four of us at an empty stadium doing our hits from Levi's, watching the game in a stadium on a television. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I would imagine that changed. But not only, you know, not only did that look different and obviously feel different for us, but some of the biggest changes was just the access and the connection. As you know, I mean, all of the interviews you had to do over Zoom, as did we. Um, And then, you know, prior to the team moving to Arizona, you were filling out the same forms that we were, but it was my responsibility throughout that week leading up to game day to make sure that all of my staff that was going to be on site followed the COVID protocols, turned in the COVID sheets that we needed to do, um, got their screening prior to getting their credential. You know, it, it was an addition to what our game days normally look like, but the 49ers did an incredible job at ensuring that not only they were kept safe, but we were as well. Yes, I would I would agree with that. And I imagine the the move to Arizona was quite different. Though, did you have, you know, a little bit of experience with that because you nobody was really traveling for away games. And so you did have shows from Levi's during away games as well, right? Yes. And that was new this season. So I have to be honest, and I don't think I realized this at the time, but prior to the 2020 season, my game days were predominantly and only home games. So when the team was on the road, I didn't necessarily have to go down to the stadium. So this was a very surprise awakening for me being at Levi Stadium with a team or without for every Sunday. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, it was an adjustment, but that was the other thing that, you know, comes into just wanting that connection. And especially with fans not being able to be at games, if we were able to be out at the stadium and thank you for the for, to the 49ers for allowing us to do that. But it was just, even for a minute, like we hoped that a fan watching our pregame show at home felt like they were in the stadium, whether they were, they won't just being able to fill that connection and make another fan feel like they're right there in it with you. Like that's the goal. So I want to talk about that for a second. And then I want to talk a little bit about last year's Super Bowl, but how have your experiences as a sports fan kind of helped you to shape content that you know fans will connect with and relate to? Yeah, that is such a good question. And I think the biggest thing for a fan, and I'm speaking with my fan card, side note, <laughs> when you get into the business, it's made very clear that you check your fan card at the door. Yes, that is very true. So I don't really get to be a fan a lot, but if um, if and when I do, and just being a longtime sports fan, like the biggest thing is a connection, and the way of a fan falls in love with a team and or a player really has nothing to do with nightly stats or even a season record. Like, yes, those things help and they make your days more exciting and they make you want to watch next week, but 
those really don't matter. Like the things that matter are what makes you feel like you have a connection to someone that you see out on the field. Like that's what makes root for them. Um, and for me, you know, I take that into the way in which I go about interviewing players or even storytelling through producing. Um, just for me personally, like what makes me feel connected to somebody or even, you know, fall in love with their story has nothing to do with who they are or what they've accomplished or, you know, what accolades they've achieved. Like it's none of that. Like what makes me feel connected and inspired by somebody is learning about their story, um, about those years where they almost quit or they were injured and they came back and the fight that they had to get through those dark times in life. Like those are what make fans and people in general connected to one another. Um, you know, everyone's interesting if you, if you ask the right questions and with social media, the connection factor is just at the tip of our fingertips constantly. So as producers, you know, we need to go into storytelling, really remembering that, that the biggest thing is just connection. And how do we ensure our fans are going to be connected to their favorite teams? So this actually segues really well into last year's Super Bowl because most fans don't get to go to the Super Bowl or most fans don't go to the Super <laughs> yes. Bowl. Uh, so <laughs> Yeah, obviously quite a few do, but, but most do not. And I think for those of us who cover a team, who cover a sport, you want to kind of give that experience, give the feeling of being there. So mm -hmm. you guys did a nightly show, you know, I think starting, um, I want to say Tuesday because Monday night was media night. So correct me if I'm Good memory. That. Well, you know, not my first rodeo, Jenna. <laughs> but, it's my second. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, but um, no, I'm just teasing. But yeah, so we had Monday night media night, and then you had the we, the nightly show from like Tuesday on leading up to the game. So yes. how far in advance does that start getting planned? Obviously, you didn't know the team was going till two weeks before, and putting together all of that content because you guys did a lot of really fun content, and you guys did such a great job. How what role did you play in that, and kind of what went into to all of that. And I imagine there were quite a few logistics on that because you guys had a lot going on that week. Oh my goodness. So first and foremost, not only do not a lot of fans get to experience the Super Bowl, but I have to say attending and working a Super Bowl was not even on my list of goals. Like that was something to me that was so out of reach and just at the pinnacle of a sport event that it didn't even cross my mind that that could be something that I would ever experience in this lifetime. So when I think of Super Bowl, not only do I think of all of our Miami fun, but it is just something that is so special to me because like you said, not many people get to experience it. Um, but planning Super Bowl was chaotic, but in the best way possible. And I'm also going to say the thing that a fan should never say. So I apologize in advance, but here's the deal. I had to check my fan card at the door, which means yeah. when we see in November that there's a chance that the Niners could potentially go to playoffs and ultimately end up at the Super Bowl, that means that I have to start planning. So I actually started planning for Miami in November. Um, so with that, first and foremost, it's submitting crew credentials. Um, it's then making sure all of our hotels are booked um, and our round trip flights. And we had a crew of 35 people. So I booked the, uh, fly, the travel itineraries for everyone. Um, and then once we have everything solidified travel-wise, it really was honed in on planning and coordinating not only our shows at the Dream Hotel that we did each night from 8 to 10, um, but it was also planning the feature, feature shoots in Miami. And so my guidelines when we were brainstorming the kind of shoots that we wanted to do, the features that we wanted to be able to give our fans back home in California, we just had to ask ourselves, if a fan was in Miami, what would they want to do? And we made sure we did it. So I may or may not have signed two of our 49er veterans, now NBC Sports analysts, 
on to surfing lessons. <laughs> they have sent somebody else to a local monkey ranch. Oh, that was that was, I think, the greatest day of Grant Lifman's life. And I think we can just go ahead and say who it was. And it may have been the best day of his life. It, it certainly was the best day of his life. But I will say the second best day of his life was when we took him to Little Havana and got okay, to- tied. <laughs> and I only say the second because I was there. So it's fine. The monkeys will be first. I will gladly take second place. It's all good, Grant. Um, <laughs> But we, you know, got to do a shoot in Little Havana. So with that, we got to experience everything about that town. So we went to the historic Domino Park, which is something, to be honest, I thought was solely in movies. But no, you walk into Domino Park and there's just people sitting there playing dominoes all day long. That's amazing. We then got to go to a Cuban sandwich restaurant. And I have never had the same Cubano since. It's so good. Um, and then we also went to a cigar rolling place. So our purpose of planning different features and shoots was really just answering the question of what can we give fans to ensure that they feel like they are in Miami with us? Um, so it was really fun shoots. It was the nightly shows that we, it was kind of like a circus, but in the best way possible, or I guess would be a better phrase rather than a circus. Um, but, you know, our nightly shows, we had a we had a different experience each night. You know, we had a band one night. We had a muralist another. We had the Gold Rush girls there. It just it just was a party that we wanted to be able to share with all of our fans back home. And you did a great job. But again, I love that you're highlighting everything that goes into it because I just think that's so important to know. But it sounds – and, you know, part of this is because I love being – so busy and I love working in sports, but I think to somebody listening who doesn't know what they want to do in sports and, and loves that kind of lifestyle, it does sound exciting. And as, as much hard work as it is, it also sounds like just fast paced and exciting and fun. And, and I don't want to, I almost hesitate the word to use the word exciting physic, because I think it's important for people to understand when you go to work in the sports industry, like you're going to work and it is work and it is a lot of work. Uh, but I think the things that you have gotten to do are very cool, but it's important to remember that it is work and it can't just be, I love sports and I want to work in sports. You have to really like know that. Of, of course. And you know, one of those moments for me, just to kind of paint the picture of everything that went into planning the Super Bowl, is, and I will never forget this moment, but it was the clock was ticking down the NFC championship game Packers versus 49ers. We're standing on the sideline watching the clock tick down. And as I'm watching the clock, I'm sitting there thinking either I'm going to spend the next two hours canceling everything I've worked on for the past two months, or we're going to Miami. And just the complete opposite end of the spectrum, but it was a moment that was just so out of your control, but also just was such a reminder as to what goes into it. You know, mm -hmm. it's and so someone in Green Bay had to spend two hours canceling everything. <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry, we're not sorry, <laughs> but it's but you know it's like you kind of forget that. Like we all like there's on the other end there is a Jenna. I in know Green Bay who I know. you know who did have to spend all that time. And that's, you know, that's a very rough side of it for sure. Yes. Um, so actually kind of along those lines, uh, if you could give someone one piece of advice for starting a career in your industry and in your field specifically, what would it be? Yeah. You know, we, we had already touched on it, but I just want to circle back on it. Like one of my biggest pieces of advice, especially professionally is just to learn as much as you can. Um, say yes to things, even if they are outside of your ultimate goal, you never know where that's going to lead you. And in turn, it's not only going to make you more intelligent within your craft, but it's also going to make you so much more valuable to be able to be somebody that says, yes, I work in production, but I can also do this. Yes, I know how to field produce, but I can also book travel. Just being able to learn as much as you can and experience is something that 
you can't put a price on. And like I said, it, it makes you much more valuable as an employee to a company, but in turn, it also gives you the flexibility to really figure out exactly what you want to do. And if memory serves at Super Bowl, you did have other opportunities that you did while you were there. I sure, I sure did. It's, I've actually, it's our one year anniversary. So I have been truly enjoying looking back on everything, but yeah, I got to um, test the waters a little bit more with hosting a podcast and, you know, doing a walk and talk um, at the Maxim party prior to the event happening. And it, it's just something that you can never stop learning and you can never stop bettering your craft and yourself as a person. And it was an incredible opportunity for me. And one that I will say, I keep knocking on managers' doors. Knock, knock. Just remember when I hosted that for you, if you need me to do it again. But that's important. And I think I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's really important to remind people when you do want those opportunities, you know, you could say yes to a number of opportunities like we talked about that maybe aren't totally on your path. But if you remind people along the way, hey, just a reminder, I like doing this too. You got to be your own best advocate because people don't necessarily remember because we just have a lot. We all have a lot going on. Absolutely. And I love what you said. You have to be your own best advocate because one of the biggest lessons I've learned learned within the five years of being with NBC, and, and this doesn't have to do with NBC. This has to do with working in a professional realm. But if you don't ask, the answer is no. Mm-hmm. So all you have to do is ask and you never know what can happen. And I think that's so important. If you don't ask, the answer is no. I love that. And I am writing it down. That's how much I love it. Um, what well, is a criticism? You. Oh, well, you're you're welcome. What is a criticism that you received early on in your career that was difficult, but incredibly helpful? Such a good question. And I think that's one that's always kind of hard to talk about and hard to navigate because you never really like want to look back on those things. But, you know, I've received a lot of criticism, whether it was constructive or something that may or may not have hurt my feelings, but I've heard it. And, you know, my biggest learning lesson with criticism, especially within the workplace is to learn to not take things so personally. And I, whether people know this or not, I am so sensitive like much more sensitive than others would know. And I internalize things. I take things to heart because I care. And I can remember even a few years ago, like this is something that is very newly learned by myself. I think I finally (laughs) figured it out within 2020. So this is not something that I, that I've known for a long time. It's taken a lot of work, but I kind of got to this point where I realized that any criticism I received, whether it was little or large, I internalized and I would lose sleep over it. I would sit there and say, do you think I should apologize to this manager because he told me I could have done better on something? And I realized, I put myself in check and said, hey, Jenna, you are losing sleep over this very minuscule situation. The person on the other end of that conversation certainly is not losing sleep over it. And all you can do is tomorrow show up as your 100% best self and do better and stop taking things so personally. And I know that's so easy to say and so easy to share, but it's true. You know, this industry is so fast paced and it's adrenaline filled that you need to be able to listen to the criticism, but ultimately decide if that's something that you want to internalize or you don't and just do better the next time around. You know, I love, um, I love the quote and I, I, I don't mean to name drop, but I'm pretty sure it was Sarah Taylor on your get my job pod. Didn't well, you can always name drop, especially if it was someone who was on this podcast. I'm just letting you know, Tracy, longtime listener over here. I love that. Makes me so but I'm happy. pretty sure Sarah said, if you wouldn't take advice for, from somebody, why are you taking criticism from them? 
and you're, she did say that and it was, it's brilliant. And it's yes. so, so true. And so I think that with just realizing that criticism is going to come, it's going to come anywhere in life that you are putting work in and just realizing that you just can't take everything personally. And all you can do is do better the next time and show up as your best self and you won. And not taking things so personally is something that comes up on the podcast a lot. And I say that to say it's something we all struggle with, but it's so it's something that's so important and it really takes time to get there. But if we can help someone get there faster even than we did, uh, it's just so important because things aren't personal. Even things that feel personal aren't personal. And you said something that's so important. That other person is not losing sleep. They gave you the criticism. They moved on. They didn't think about it again. That was it. Uh, I I learned that when I worked um, for the mayor of DC and there were a couple times um, where he would call me after an event and say, hey, next time do this, blah, blah. And I remember like a couple of times calling him later to apologize and saying, I'm so sorry. And he was like, I forgot about it. You don't have to apologize. Just do it different. That's it. Like that's, you know, so that's, and, and it's really not that big a deal. And I think criticism, the word has almost gotten like an unfair lot because it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's just, if you can look at it as a way to improve, as opposed to being told you did something wrong, I think that there's something to that. Absolutely. I completely agree. There's my deep thought for the podcast, you guys. Take criticism, turn, take that criticism frown and turn it upside down. Snap, snap, snap. We we are putting that on a (laughs) t-shirt. We most certainly are. Um, All right. Before we get to five fun facts, which is of course the most fun, uh, is there a misstep that you are seeing women make as they're trying to break into the sports industry that you'd like them, you'd like to help them not to do? Yeah. And, you know, I think there's, I don't want to say there's so many ways to answer this question because I do think that it's different for each individual. It's different from, for each woman, you know, you can't compare one to the other, but something that I learned because I was doing was wanting to hide your strengths. And what I mean by that is wanting to hide the qualities that make you, you the things about you that are different. And I know the grand word is to say, oh, the unique traits. I I don't know why, but I've always kind of had an issue with the word unique. I just think it sounds negative, like you were saying about criticism. Uh, But we, I think women and myself need to be able to look at the qualities that we bring to the table and not live as a diluted version of ourselves. Like you show up with those qualities, know your strengths, capitalize on them. Don't apologize for the things you're great at. Don't apologize for what you bring to the table because it is in those qualities and those traits that make you, you, and there's never another you. And if we have to put it into perspective and I don't want to play the comparison game, but A man is never going to walk into a production meeting and want to live as half a version of himself because he doesn't want to make someone else feel uncomfortable. No, Mm, that's very true. He's good at, he owns it and he lets you know. Now I say we do this respectfully. I'm not saying we need to do it bragging, but as women, we need to know the qualities and the traits that make us, us, the things we're good at, what we offer to other people And instead of looking at those as things we want to hide or we don't want to put forth at 100%, those are the things that need to be shown. Those are the things we need to capitalize on. So don't hide your strengths. Be you. Be all of you because that's what the world needs. I love that. Be all of you. And I think that we could take that advice beyond the workplace and into life. Be all of you because that is what the world needs. Um, There's that cliche that you can't be, don't say you want to be so-and-so they're taken, but it's true. And I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it just reminds me, and it's one of my favorite quotes is, you know, within the coach Carter movie, and I know it's a longstanding quote, but it's the quote of, you know, stop let, oh now, gosh, I'm going to butcher it. Oh man. Tracy, help me out. Am I phoning a friend on this? I, I don't know the quote. 
I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. Okay. I'm pulling it up right now. Do you it. Plain does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. Stop playing small. Use the qualities and bring them to the table because all of us women have it. We just have to have the courage to shine. That is a fantastic quote. Oh my God, that is amazing. At a perfect place to end this part of the podcast and move into five fun facts. Jenna, that quote, so you have dropped some great quotes and wisdom today. I just want you to know that I've been very happy about it. Thank you. Well, my love language is words of affirmation, so I appreciate it. Well, you know what? We are the benefits of that because we have learned a lot of really good stuff today. All right, Jenna, this has been amazing. Uh, You really, I mean, in all seriousness, you have given us a lot of wisdom, a lot to think about, some really great quotes. um, And it's just been amazing to get to talk to you, as I said in the very beginning, as a colleague and a friend. But I can't let you go yet because you know what time it is. It's time. Without further ado, Five Fun Facts with Jenna Vanderey. All right, Jenna, what is your favorite moment in sports? Ooh, such a good one. Um, I'm kind of going to go a little into left field with this, but my favorite moment in sports happened in 2019, and it was Bruce Bochy's final game as skipper of the Giants. And the reason that it was my favorite memory is because I grew up a Giants fan. I am a huge fan to this day, though I don't share that with many people because of the whole work thing, but well, you did just share it with the entire, all our listeners. So thank you. We appreciate that. We'll, we'll bleep it out. <laughs> um, but the reason why Bocha's final game was my favorite memory is because the Giants put on one of the most incredible ceremonies to honor Boach and brought back basically every player from a majority of the greatest teams that he had coached. And it was, it made me feel as though, you know, when you're opening those Russian dolls and you just don't know if there's going to be another one, but there is, and it's still so exciting. That's it was incredible to see the players I grew up watching, watch Boach be surprised, honor an incredible legacy. And then I, I just have to say it, but we were all so surprised and so happy when Tim Lincecum showed up. And that was a moment that I will just never in a million years forget. What is your life motto? Mm, this is a good one, especially because now you know I'm kind of a quote hoarder. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would have to say my life motto is, oh gosh, you know, I don't want to make this religious specific because I know that we all believe in different things. But for me, I am really big in my Christian faith. And my life motto is that God wouldn't have put that dream in your heart if he didn't want you to live it. And I think of that all of the time when I have days at work where I'm struggling and it's hard and it's stressful and I feel like I just can't get to the next day. I just remember that that dream that's in my heart isn't there on accident. It is there on purpose. And if I have the courage to chase it and to see what it's about, that that is directly related to the purpose of why I was put on here on earth. I love that. That's great. What is your go-to workout? Oh, girl. Well, you know, right now it is is the Peloton. Um, I was somebody that invested in the Peloton over quarantine solely because I'm working from home. I'm doing everything from home and I still wanted to have a really great workout. So I am a big fan of the Peloton, mainly Alex Toussaint's classes. I mean, nothing can compare to those, especially feeling like you're training like an athlete. Um, and also getting a little dancing in, Mm -hmm. you know, he always has music. So it's fine. Go to coffee order. Non-fat white mocha with an ad shot. Ooh, that sounds delicious. And a book every woman should read. Hmm. Well, first that comes to mind is any and all of Rachel Hollis's books. I think those are great. But my one recommendation, which I just finished reading about a month ago, is um, by an author called Lisa Turkhurst. And the title is It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. And the whole theme of this book 
talks about how to handle life's disappointments, but also being able to see the greater good and their disappointments. And my favorite part of the book and something that has just completely struck stuck with me was her description on how as individuals, it's our messy parts, our messiness that make us relatable and lovable. It's not the perfect traits that we have or those that are on our resume or things we're proud of. It's actually the things that we find the most messy of us that help people fall in love with us and feel connected and feel safe with them. And, you know, instead of hiding them, we need to honor them. And I just, I loved the book. It's an easy read and it's just really wonderful. Love that. That is the perfect place to end the podcast. And I agree with that sentiment so much. Um, I mean, I agree with the sentiment from the book, not that not so much it's the perfect place to end the podcast, but you guys know what I was trying to say, but I really do. I think that that was a great place to finish up there. Jenna, thank you so much for joining me today. This was super fun. Thank you, Tracy. I'm honored to be a part of it. And it was fun being able to hang out with you. It was so fun. Loved it. Um, If you guys like what you heard, and I know that you did, please make sure to leave us a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. Talk to everybody next time. Bye, all Sports opinions with a side of satire. We're the First and Tens, a weekly show delivering the spiciest opinions on football, life, and especially each other. And we can do that because we've been best friends for so long. I'm Amy. And I'm Jasmine. First and Tens will bring you sports from the female perspective while also injecting pop culture, fashion, and music into our daring dialogue. We're saucy, edgy, and most of all, we We think think we're we're funny funny AF. First and Tens, light on stats, heavy on sass. Follow us at firstandtenspodcast.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.